Hi, everyone. Welcome to Mama Wears Athleisure. I am your host, Mariella de Santiago, a first-time mom. We focus on all things mom with tips to help make life easier and more organized for all you mamas out there. Hi, everyone. Today, I am here with Melissa Dean, a midwife from Casa Natal in San Jose area. Hi, I'm um, so happy to be here and chatting with you today about women's health. I am a uh, functional medicine practitioner and a licensed midwife. I have been supporting uh, women through birth and healthcare for over 20 years. I own two birthing centers in Silicon Valley area, and I love taking care of women. So today we're talking about what the next steps are once you find out that you're pregnant. So, you know, typically we know you take the test at home, you get the positive or negative, and if you are positive, then you typically tend to call your doctor a doctor. So with that... Once somebody does find out they're pregnant, what are generally the next steps that should be taken? Yeah, I think it's different for everybody because some women have spent weeks or months or years researching kind of their perfect birth scenario because it's something that is really important to them. And other women don't even know that they have options other than just calling a doctor. So it's great to realize that you do have options. Doing some research about kind of the way that your local hospital delivers babies. Do you have options while you're there? Are you looking for a traditional medical setting? Are you looking for pain management? Do you want to know the provider that's at your birth? Is that important to you? I think asking those questions and then also kind of considering thinking about medical interventions. Do you know the C-section rate of your local hospital? or one that's maybe a little bit further away. And then maybe looking into doulas or midwifery care. There are midwives that do practice in the hospital. Most of them practice under doctors, so they are kind of held to that same doctor's protocols in their practice. Every now and then though, you'll find a midwife practice in the hospital that is run by themselves. And that would be a gold mine if you were looking for a hospital experience with midwifery care. And then the last option would be either a birth center, which is away from the hospital, or a home birth. Some hospitals do call their labor and delivery wards birth centers, but they are located in the hospital and a traditional labor and delivery ward. I'm glad that you clarified that because, yeah, I have found that in my, what I probably should not be saying on here, my Google searches, (laughs) that yes, (laughs) a lot of them are called birth centers, but yeah, they're in a hospital, which is kind of like, wait, I whenever I think of a birth center, like I think of essentially like a home away from your home where you're delivering your baby, right? Like you've got a bed and in that room you have like a tub and basically everything that you need to make it feel as if you're in your own bedroom. Yeah. A lot of it's marketing because I mean, midwives deliver only 1% of babies in America, but with the advent of podcasts and the internet and Google and uh, online education, women are realizing that they do have more options and they are searching out 
places with midwives. And so that number has grown from 1% to 2%. And I know that the OBs in our area are feeling, I mean, we can't be cutting into their bottom line too much, but they do feel it a little bit. And so they also are on the internet and they are watching things that happen on podcasts and things like that. And they understand that women are looking for a more holistic experience. And so for marketing purposes, they call their labor and delivery ward a birth center. I know you kind of already mentioned some things to take into consideration, but what are some other bigger things to really think about when choosing a provider? Like, I mean, for me, right off the bat, I kind of think insurance, right? Like, which I think a lot of people probably will think, where do I go? Who's going to take my insurance that will give me the care I need? Yeah, I think insurance is definitely one of them. Understanding your insurance, to me, is first and foremost, because a lot of people don't really understand their insurance. We have much higher deductibles these days. And you also have what's called an out-of-pocket max. And looking at your policy, you may have, say, $5,000 out-of-pocket max or a $5,000 deductible with an $8,000 out-of-pocket max, which means that you are going to pay $8,000 to have your baby in a hospital or higher if your out-of-pocket max is higher than that. So talking to a midwife, asking if they bill insurance, most of the midwives in our area are out of network, but we still bill insurance and we can generally give you kind of an overview of what to expect your insurance to pay. Like here's your deductible, here's what your insurance is expecting you to pay, here's what you can kind of expect to maybe get reimbursed back from your insurance. I think it's also important in addition to insurance though, thinking about like, who's going to actually be at your birth? Is the doctor you're seeing in the hospital the one that's going to be at your birth? You love your doctor, they're super great, but are they going to be on vacation or even just off call? Because most OB practices now are quite large with 10 to 15 OBs and they switch out throughout the month and they're only on call for a few days each month, which means that you have a pretty slim chance of your actual OB being there. So asking those kind of questions who's going to be allowed to be at your birth? What is the one-on-one time with your provider at your appointments? Are you going to get five minutes, 10 minutes, or are you going to be given 45 minutes at each appointment, which in our practice, we give everybody 45 minutes at each each visit. Those are things that can make or break your care experience. Those of you listening, I do have my son in here, so you'll hear his sounds. (laughs) So what are some things that a mom should refrain from doing once they learn they're pregnant. I know for many of us, obviously, if you drink or do any sort of recreational use of that, we tend to know, I think most of us know that you can no longer do that. But what else are some things that like you just wouldn't have thought of until you go to do something? Go to your first appointment, yeah. And, you figure, <laughs> and then they give you the list of things you shouldn't do now that you're pregnant. Marchofdimes.org has a list of foods that you should avoid. Generally, it's raw meat, raw seafood, things that can carry bacteria. Unpasteurized dairy also carries bacteria, raw eggs. Those kinds of things can carry bacteria that can cause potentially serious, harmful developmental issues with your growing baby. So you want to either know the source of your seafood, if you caught it fresh and are making sushi that night because your husband is a sushi chef, that might be different than going to a sushi place in the middle of America where seafood comes from long distances. If you have chickens in your backyard and you gather the eggs and eat them fresh each day, 
if it's slightly undercooked, it's you're going to be safer than if you were buying it off the grocery shelf and you're not quite sure how long it's been in transit. Things like limiting caffeine, organic, wild-caught, non-GMO foods are best. Seafoodwatch.org has a list of seafood that's safer in pregnancy. Fish that carry high amounts of mercury, because mercury can definitely have harmful effects on you and your growing baby. If you're on a budget, there is a list of the clean 15 and the dirty dozen for vegetables and fruits, things that you want to avoid, ideally buying organic and wild caught whenever possible. But if you're on a budget, sometimes that can cost a lot of money. So sticking to that clean 15 and the dirty dozen for foods that you can maybe buy less organic of the cleaner foods. You want to also consider your drinking water. A lot of us don't realize how contaminated some of our drinking water is. And there's forever chemicals in our drinking water, as well as plastics and things like that. So using a good filtration system, ideally reverse osmosis, so that your drinking water is clean. Because you hear all through your pregnancy, drink water, drink water, two to three liters a day. That's super important. Stay hydrated. But if you're putting toxins into your system and you don't really realize it, that's also something that's really important. Over-the-counter medications should be avoided when possible when you're pregnant. Just in general, there are some that are safer. You can always look up whether it's considered a class A, B, or C drug for toxicity. But they used to say that Tylenol was completely safe in pregnancy, and now there are studies that show that Tylenol excessive use, especially in pregnancy, causes developmental delays in babies. So if you can avoid those things, use only as needed. And then also prescription medications should be avoided unless it's something that you are considering the risks versus the benefits gained. Don't just always take your doctor's word for it. You might want to do some additional research or asking, getting a second opinion on whether or not prescription medications are safe. Generally, lactation consultants are very well versed in medications that are safe in pregnancy and breastfeeding. So that's a great person to ask as well. Things like massages, chiropractic, acupuncture, all of those are safe in pregnancy as long as your provider has specific training for pregnant women. And there are many of these providers that specialize in pregnancy and they can be super helpful throughout your pregnancy. Hi, everyone. It's your host, Mariella. I wanted to thank you for listening and share some ways to show your continued support. You can rate and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, share the show with friends and family, buy me a coffee to help with the financial costs of running a podcast, follow me on Instagram at mamawearsathleisure, and finally, subscribe to my newsletter. Thank you for listening. I like that you mentioned the water because throughout the pregnancy, you're told to drink a lot more water, and then, of course, you end up peeing a lot more often. But aside from that, after you have your baby, if you choose to breastfeed, you need to drink a lot more water because you're just way more thirsty. And yeah, some people don't think about like where your water is coming from. If you're just going with tap water and not filtering it or where it comes from. Water in water bottles, those plastic water bottles. If it sits in the sun, it's absorbing the BPAs from the plastic. So just being mindful of those kinds of things. I mean, obviously we live in a developed country where we have access to clean drinking water versus other countries where they don't. But like I said, Consider the best options possible and making as healthy choices as you can in the moment when when you're making them. And then for anyone that is having morning sickness, 
What are some ways to help alleviate this side effect? Yes. Morning sickness can be no fun at all. It starts sometimes around like seven, eight weeks, and it can last 12, 13, 14 weeks for some people. First of all, just considering eating what sounds good to you. Most people love the idea of carbs. And so eat carbs. That's fine. You don't have to necessarily eat all food groups in the first few weeks during morning sickness. But consider adding protein whenever possible. I usually suggest to my clients that they carry around a bag of raw almonds because raw almonds provide excellent protein. They're crunchy. They are good to chew. They make you feel better almost instantly. Waking up in the morning, eating four almonds, going about your day, carrying the bag of almonds in your purse. If you start feeling a little bit nauseous, eating five more almonds can really hold that nausea at bay because as your blood sugar drops, it's what helps increase that feeling of nausea. So generally when you're feeling more and more hungry, you get more and more nauseous. Your stomach is empty, your blood sugar is low, but you don't actually feel hungry. You feel nauseous as a side effect. Avoiding overly sugary foods. And even if you feel sick, try to make yourself eat. If you throw up, eat again, because that keeping that consistent level of blood sugar will help maintain overall well-being. And you'll feel so much better if you do that. Ginger candies, ginger capsules, like a, a capsule form of ginger is really great at helping with nausea and stomach upset. C-bands are something, it's acupressure. They're the little bands that you wear for seasickness. They have a little acupressure dot that lands on your wrist and the acupressure is placed for nausea. So pressing on that little band when you feel sick can help alleviate nausea. Peppermint on a cotton ball in a little glass container that you just carry around. And if you start to feel sick, open it and smell the peppermint can make you feel so much better. Also, a couple drops of peppermint on the bottom of your feet can be really, you know, helpful for the nausea feelings. And then lastly, we usually suggest that our clients take, if they just, none of those things are helping, B6 and Unisom together every eight hours, 25 milligrams of Unisom every eight hours throughout the day and night can make a big difference too in how well they feel. So many ideas that I've one, never heard of and two would have never even thought of. So I love these, especially for anyone that is going through them because I've had friends that are like, I don't know what to do. Nothing helps. Yeah, like exactly. That. Well, and when you feel sick, it's just normal to not eat because you're like, I'm going to throw up. So I'm not going to eat anything. And then it gets worse and worse. So not eating actually exacerbates the problem. That would make sense. And my last question, do you have any other tips, suggestions, or recommendations for next steps or ways to make this process easier and exciting and fun? I think, well... For most people, finding out you're pregnant is just super fun and exciting anyway. So I think understanding two expectations of timing of your first visit, a lot of people are super excited. They take their test. They're about four weeks along. Okay, what do I do now? And at four weeks, it's still a little bit early to come in and see anybody. Oftentimes, an OB's office will have you come in around six weeks to do a confirmation of pregnancy. I'm using air quotes here, which is basically a vaginal ultrasound to basically look at your baby and look for a heartbeat. However, understanding that a heartbeat at six weeks doesn't always necessarily mean you'll have a heartbeat at eight weeks. So we usually chat with our clients about what they would like to do. Would, we, would you like to come in for an ultrasound at six weeks or would you rather come in at eight weeks where we can do an abdominal ultrasound 
You don't have to do the vaginal ultrasound. If you choose to wait till nine weeks, we do your ultrasound and all your labs, genetic testing all in one fell swoop. But yeah, just knowing that you even have options. So that's something we generally talk about when people first call us and say that they're pregnant, like, oh, I'm pregnant, what should I do? So learning that you just have options. If you don't wanna have a vaginal ultrasound to confirm your pregnancy, that's totally your prerogative, but some providers won't let you say no, or they basically kind of shame you into doing what they want you to do. And it's always your option and your right to say no if it's something that you don't really wanna do. Because I know for some women that is, a little unnerving and unsettling to have that happen to them. I appreciate that you put the air quotes for confirm that you're pregnant because when I took my test and I called, they I was like, oh, I need to come in and do whatever I need to do to confirm I'm pregnant. And they were like, oh, well, did you take a test? I said, yes, I did. All right, well, you're pregnant. So then they just went ahead and scheduled me. <laughs> I was like, wait, I thought I needed to come in and do everything that you guys, I don't know, need me to do. But mm-hmm. yeah, and- well- it, I feel like it's also changes. Like I had somebody, what their first appointment was virtual and it wasn't until like 12 weeks. 12 weeks. Yeah. I mean, in 12 weeks used to be the norm back when I was having kids, 12 weeks was the norm. You would come in at around 12 weeks. They didn't do ultrasounds until the, I mean, much later than that to basically do the anatomy scan and stuff like that. So it was a blood test or a urine test to confirm your pregnancy. And then they, you came in much later. So yeah, I think more and more OBs are doing the early visits with the ultrasounds and have you come back in two weeks for another ultrasound because it's for billing purposes, they can bill your insurance quite a bit of money for each of those visits. And if you were to come in and not have either of those procedures, then they really can't bill for the office visit. Well, Thank you so much. I appreciate you taking time and walking us through all of this and really clarify or giving us tips on what we can do for anyone that has morning sickness, things that you should probably avoid and different websites to look into that you definitely wouldn't have thought of. Like I had never thought about like a massage until I scheduled one. I was like, wait, what? I I can't have like a normal massage. (laughs) So, so many things that you just don't think about. Well, my pleasure. It was nice to chat with you. Thanks for your time as well. Thank you for listening. Tune in next week for our next episode. You can find us on Instagram for more updates and tips. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts and give us a review if you like us.